welcome to Sakamichi Nights. Welcome back to Tachikawa. We're still here. Still here. Still uh, hanging on. We're still hanging on and we're still operating as a bottle shop yep. at the moment, aren't we? It's yep. still the state of emergency here in Tokyo. They've extended it uh, and it looks like they're going to extend it again. It seems it? like that's going to happen. Um, so for the foreseeable future, we will be operating as a bottle shop. But mm. that's not going to stop us from recording a podcast for you every week. Mm. We're still going to come back and, and do this and tell people what we think about things. Yes. Nothing's going to stop us from telling everyone what we think about everything. Telling 50 people our opinions on stuff. That's a very generous number. <laughs> I don't have 50 parents. <laughs> what are we doing here on this show, Matthew? Uh, we're here to talk about beer. And to celebrate beer. Are we here to review the beer? You know, if you're just tuning in, you might think that that's what we're here to do. But we are not here to review beer. No? Uh, because we will talk about beer that we have here in the bar that we are selling and serving. And we wouldn't be selling and serving it if we didn't think it was good beer. So if it's on the show, you can rest assured that it is tasty and delicious. Exactly. We're here to celebrate good beer. Uh, and all the beers that we talk about are beers that we sell here. So we think they're good and mm. we're here to, to talk about them a little bit. Uh, at the moment, we are not doing draft beer. So we've been taking beers from the fridge to taste and talk about yeah. a little bit. Uh, what is the beer that we're talking about this week? Today's beer is Riders on the Storm IPA. It's a collaboration between Carl Strauss Brewing and Beechwood Brewing, two mm -hmm. California breweries. Two California breweries that I think we're both big fans of. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, we've had quite a bit of Carl Strauss in before. Um, the Aurora Hoppialis was a very nice beer. Yep. We have a new, we have a keg coming in on pre-order. It is a variant of their Tower 10 IPA, which is like their kind of flagship IPA, I think. Um, but they made a variant of it with uh, tangerine, so Tower 10 with tangerine. So we have a keg of that on pre-order, which we will not be able to serve, but it is coming. And once we are open again and pouring from the taps, that will come up at some point. Tower 10 with tangerine from the taps. That's it. That's easy for you to say. Yeah. Um, what would you say is sort of the style of Carl Strauss? What kind of beer do they make, do you think? Well, they're a California brewery, so they, and, and they're, they're in, they've been around for a while. So they're very much a West Coast IPA. Uh, focused brewery. They, they, I mean, they're big enough. They make a full range. Obviously, now I don't think you can survive at their size without offering lots of different styles of beer. But uh, to, to my knowledge, they, you know, they they've been around for a while, which means they came up during the kind of West Coast hop revolution, basically. And I think they hang their hat on West Coast style IPAs. Very hop forward, mm. dry IPAs. Yeah. That's, that's the West Coast style. Mm. Um, so they did a collaboration with Beechwood Brewing. Uh, we had two cans of their beer, two different varieties of their beer in cans recently. Didn't yeah, we? they were both great. We had Mocha Machine, which was an Imperial Coffee Chocolate Porter mm. stout, mm. Uh, which was delicious. And we had LBC IPA, which was dank and dank. very good. And very sticky. Yeah, dank and sticky. Right. That's uh, I, I bought a can of that and took it home and... Did you sit on your dank and sticky beanbag and really listen to the beer? Really listen to it, man. Yeah. Turn off the phone, turn off the lights, 
just really get, get your head inside that beer. Sit in the dark, drinking a beer. Yeah, Sounds basically. Like a pretty good Tuesday evening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really liked the Mocha Machine. I did try that one. It was uh, very full-flavored. Mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of a lot of mocha in there, but uh, it was quite strong as well, mm. wasn't it? Um, but still with a very nice balance. So these are two breweries that come with a very high pedigree, mm. uh, and they've collaborated to make uh, Riders on the Storm, which is uh, a West Coast IPA, isn't yeah. it? Let's not talk anymore. Let's try the beer. So what are your first impressions of Riders on the Storm IPA? I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's a lot of fruitiness, uh, both in the aroma and in the the flavor of it. A bit of lemon, maybe? Mm. I'm not quite sure. I, I find that I have a hard time. Some people taste it and go like, hmm, yeah, it's biscuit and loquat and, you know. Like it was like super specific, and I'm like, yeah, it's uh, it's fruity and bitter. It's hard for me to kind of pick out individual flavors, um, but yeah, they, this is. Uh, I think it's got a lot of fruitiness balanced out by a fair amount of bitterness as well. I think uh, the biggest aroma that I get out of it is tropical fruit. Mm. Um, when I was young, there was a, a kind of tropical fruit juice that you'd buy in a milk pack from Tesco's. Uh, and it reminds me a little bit of that. And uh, actually, just when I popped the can open earlier, just before we hit record, in- instantly the whole room was filled with this kind of tropical fruit aroma, mm. I think. Um, but there's a bit more complexity when you actually taste it. So I agree there is some citrus in there, and there might even be a little bit of florality, if that's a word. Florality is a word. I mean, it's not, but... Um... They do say in the notes on the can here, overflowing with tropical, floral, and citrus aromas from Amarillo and Mosaic hops. You really taste the Amarillo. Uh, But they're also saying it's brewed with white wheat for a smooth mouthfeel and honey malt, which gives it a touch of sweetness. You Mm. do get a little bit of sweetness in it, Mm. but not not in any way that makes it like cloying or overpowering saccharin, right? It's just, it's kind of just a nice rounding it off a little bit. Yeah, you... When you have such a hoppy beer, you need a little bit of body just to balance it out a bit. Uh, and now you've said Amarillo. Um, Amarillo is the main flavor hop in our Shibasaki session, mm. uh, session IPA. And I think these two, you, you can kind of see a little bit that they have in common. A little bit of citrusy dankness that they both have mm. a little bit of. Yeah. Uh, very pleasant beer. How strong is it? 7.0%. In case you thought I was talking in some other measurement besides percent. So big grams, grams of alcohol in this can. So it's a, it's a very pleasant beer. Um, and it's the bringing together of two breweries uh, that, we, that we are a fan of, that mm. we are fans of. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're looking at beer as a consumer, not as somebody who runs a bottle shop, but just you know in a shop looking to pick up a few cans of something, do collaboration beers catch your eye? Do they excite you? For, for me, I, absolutely, they do. I think there, there's a couple things that happen. If it's two breweries that I know and like, then, then that's just fun. Like, what, have they, what have they come together to make? I like the beer that comes out of both of these breweries individually. So what have they gone on and done together? Mm. Or if it's a brewery that I know 
and like and a brewery that I've not heard of before. That's also interesting because they're going to introduce me to some other brewery that I, you know, that's, that's always fun. Cause now you've got another place to explore and have a look at what they're offering, what's available from them in Japan. And yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's a fun thing. I think it's probably fun for the brewers, but yeah, absolutely for me as a consumer, I think that there is, there's some appeal there to collaborations. How about you? It, it can also be really interesting if it's two breweries with quite distinct and different styles. Mm. Um, so these two breweries, Beechwood and Carl Strauss, they're both California breweries. They both make similar kinds of beer. And so it makes sense that they would make this kind of beer together. Mm. But if it's, I remember when I worked at Baird, we did a collaboration with Shigakogen. Uh, and Baird has a very particular way of making beer. Shigakogen has quite a particular way of making beer. And they're not the same. So it's quite interesting to see how those two styles met and mm. melded. And what the result of that was. Was it a successful result, the beer that you guys Oh, yeah, made? yeah, it was really nice, yeah. Um, it was made at the Shigakogen Brewery mm-hmm. rather than at the Baird Brewery. So it was maybe more a Shigakogen beer, but we sent them some of the hops that we had grown mm. at our brewery. Okay. So I think that can also be a, a really interesting thing for, for people who are fans of beer to look at is two distinct styles coming together, synthesizing to create something mm. quite new mm. and interesting. One of the fun things about getting into craft beer and, and craft beer kind of blowing up and becoming bigger and having more people interested in it is that you, if you want to get into it, if you really want to nerd out about it, you can start to learn about the individual brewers, the head brewers at different places. And what their style is like and what their history is and what their, you know, in, in a lot of cases, what kind of brewing tree they came from. Like, mm. where did they cut their teeth and, mm. and learn their trade and from who? And uh, you can, in that case, like on this can, they specifically say Paul Segura and Julian Schrago, uh, are, I assume, are the head brewers for Beechwood and Carl Strauss. So if you have a sense of who they are and where they came from, it's interesting to see that uh, they kind of heritage and... Um, you know, what they brought from their previous positions and previous breweries that they worked at. Because it's, you know, in the in the brewing industry, at least in America, people change jobs all the time looking for, you know, another step up the ladder to becoming a head brewer somewhere. So it's, I think it's really interesting to see, uh, as you said, not just brewery styles, but also the brewer style specifically, if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of it. Mm. And the brewing philosophies mm. of different people coming yeah, together. Absolutely. Yeah, it can certainly be fun for the brewers to work together with, with another team who perhaps have a, a different way of doing things and a, a different way of looking at things. That can be really fun and challenging. But um, what do you think are some of the other reasons why breweries would choose to do collaboration brews? There's, there's certainly a, a publicity angle to it in some cases. When, when it's a smaller brewery working with a more established brewery, uh, there's value to the smaller brewery to have their name on it or there could be distribution benefits as well um i think in some cases uh now you see collaborations that people are doing without without being physically there they're talking about the recipe over zoom or or whatever kind of medium and making plans but then they might be supplying like a local ingredient from one place that is hard to get in another place so you can have a brewery in America making a beer in collaboration with a Japanese brewery and the Japanese brewery is providing them with some kind of 
uh, Japanese fruit or local product, sancho or something like that. Uh, so that stuff is really, I think that that also is really fun for the breweries to get creative with it, and uh, I think there's a lot of draw for that for the consumers of that beer、mm. in the market where that product is not readily available.、Mm. Yeah, it's one of the kind of dirty secrets of working in a brewery is that you spend a lot of your time making the same beer again and again and、mm. again. Like whatever is the biggest seller of、mm. the brewery where you work, whatever that flagship beer is, you spend most of your time making that beer. So whenever you have the chance to work with a new ingredient or something you haven't experienced before, just see how it works、mm. in the beer. It's not so even so much about the beer that comes out of it. It's about enjoying that process,、mm. learning about a new ingredient,、mm. learning about something new、uh, that you can use.、Mm. Um, I do definitely agree that there is a publicity angle to it as well, though.、Um, last year, we did a collaboration with Devilcraft to、mm. make a beer called Onikoen Kelsch. Yeah, Devilcraft are a very well-established name、mm-hmm. in Tokyo,、uh, and we are not. So. That wasn't the only reason, but that was definitely part of it. I think the the opportunity to maybe lend credibility is the wrong way of looking at it, but to to show that we are serious about making beer, that、mm. the Devilcraft seal of quality could be apl- applicable to to beer that we made as well. Sure, and I think in that, I, I mean, I, it's it's what I hope is true as the as the smaller, lesser known establishment, but. I think in that kind of situation,、uh, Devilcraft wouldn't have agreed to work with us and put our name on the beer alongside theirs if they didn't think that we knew what we were doing and that we were we were going to make good beer on our own as well.、Um, because I, I, you know, I it's it's I don't think it would damage their reputation so much, but it, it's probably not great just to be. Slapping anybody's names on your beers, I would imagine you want to,、uh, you know, you don't want everything to be a collaboration, right? So you're going to pick and choose who you want to work with and how you want to do that. Plus, one of the reasons they have a really good reputation is because they have very high standards,、mm. right? So all of the beer that they release is good. They、yeah. never release bad beers,、mm. so they have to be fairly confident that the beer we made together was going to be good,、mm. or they weren't going to be able to to release it. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true, and、um, it was also great to to see sort of our name, see the Sakamichi name in a place that I had enjoyed as a customer. Yeah, like Devilcraft、mm-hmm. to go back there and to see beer that we had contributed to the recipe of, to、mm-hmm. contributed to the making of, being served to、mm-hmm. to the customers. Yeah, Devilcraft.、Ah. We've done a few different collaborations、uh, over the past twelve, fifteen months,、mm-hmm. haven't we? Um, let, let's try and run through them, shall we? Obviously, our Shibasaki session—you could call that a collaboration. I, I think it started off as a collaboration.、Uh, we, you, you made the recipe, but we obviously ran it by、uh, Chris at Shiokaze, and he was there for the brew day, and we had、um, Izumi Brewing in on it, where we where we make the Shibasaki session.、Uh, so I think that was、um, for our first one. That was a collaboration. Now, since then, we have,、um, well, specifically, you have iterated on the recipe a little bit. It's changed a little bit、uh, through each batch. So,、um, I don't know. I'm not necessarily trying to say it's wholly ours now, but it's probably less of a collaboration at this point than it was when we first made it. I think also these days when I go to Izumi 
on a brew day, a Shibasaki session brew day, they kind of just lead me to it because I've used that system enough times now. Right. They don't need to supervise me or right. show me how to work it. Also, um, you're horrible to work with. That's true, yes. You're a, a tyrant, is what they Huge say. Huge BO problems. <laughs> they, uh, they all vacate the brew house whenever I get in there. Um, but, yeah, that, that was the first, I guess you could call it collaboration, because mm. we were all in there mm. on the first day, weren't we? Yeah. Contributing to, to the brew day. Um, after that, though, it was a little while until our second collaboration, which was the Devilcraft one, yeah. wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That was in uh, August last year. Mm-hmm. We initially planned that beer to be released for a local festival that is held at uh, Sewer Shrine, which is just around the corner from us. Mm-hmm. Huge summer festival. Thousands of customers pouring down the street right outside our bar. Mm. All thirsty. Thirsty, desperate for, for beer. Looking for beer. something cool and refreshing. And of course, that was all cancelled yeah. this year, uh, unfortunately. But mm. we were still able to release the beer. Mm. Uh, and Jason from Devilcraft very kindly came over here with some pizzas. That was a great day. It was good. Yeah, yeah he, he brought pizzas. And it was funny that day we said we're going to be releasing the beer at 6 p.m. It was on a Friday, I think. Mm. And until we run out, basically everyone who buys a beer gets a free slice of pizza. And right up until 5.59 p.m. that day, it was dead in here. <laughs> there was nobody here. And I was really worried. I was thinking, oh my God, we're going to have all this beer and pizza and nobody's going to show up. But then it was like somebody had just fired a starter pistol. As mm. soon as it ticked over to six o'clock, the, there was a, a queue of people. There must have been a dozen people, two dozen people mm. deep at the bar, all ready for their beer yeah. and mostly for the pizza. For the Let's pizza. not ourselves. <laughs> their pizza is really good. Free pizza is a great motivator. Yes. As, as any elementary school teacher can attest, you have pizza parties in England? Is this a thing you did? You have what, fish and chips parties. What's a pizza? Right. Okay, great. So no then. No. All right. Fine. Uh, well, uh, pizza it's, parties it's an like... interesting, but we certainly didn't in the 80s, if that's what you're asking. But uh, it was maybe 1989 before I even saw a pumpkin so we're unused to uh, your exotic American foods. Man, what kind of life have you lived? Uh, it was it was depressing. Yeah, Bleak. it was. I was in the the poorhouse. It was me and Oliver Twist. Yeah, just eating gruel yeah. and uh, stepping on this big drum all day to to run the mill. No pumpkins, no, no pizza. No pumpkins and no pizza. No, Man. we did have gruel though. And we were allowed to ask for seconds. All right, you were allowed to ask for seconds. You didn't get it, no, but, but you could ask not. without being beaten. You, you could ask for seconds. Progress. After the Devilcraft uh, collaboration, things picked up steam a little bit. Um, we did our second collaboration in November last year. It was the red IPA that we called Seize the Means. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, a collaboration with a brewery called Idrisil down in Hiratsuka. Uh, and this certainly was more of a collaboration than the Shibasaki session because they kept half the batch and we took the other half, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So... That, that was a very interesting beer, and it was a very interesting uh, interesting day, two days actually, down in Hinatsuka, because we did a double batch mm-hmm. brew. And um, one of the things about collaborations is that you, you're going to a brewery quite often that you've never been to before, and you've never used their system before. And every brewing system is different. It's a little bit like learning to play a, a new musical instrument mm. every time you go in that. So you're kind of relying on the team there to know how to use their system really well in order for the brew day to Mm. go well. And sometimes you can learn things from each other, and I certainly did on that day. Um, And other times it's a bit, 
it's more challenging than it would be working in your own brew house because you don't quite know how anything there is supposed to work. Mm. Um, so the Seize the Means came out quite well in the end, um, but when we first arrived, not all of the malt had actually arrived at the mm. brewery yet. Uh, there'd been a bit, bit of a mix-up with the ordering, so we had to kind of adjust the recipe on the fly, and that's that's just an additional challenge, I think. Yeah. I suppose those things can happen uh, even in-house, right? Yes, that's um, true. That you could have things be delivered late. Uh, but it's... Um, you know, there's a there's a familiarity to things. Uh, you and I both like cooking, and I don't know if you do the same thing, but... Um, when I make something new, I, I mean, if it's, if I like it and I'm intrigued by it, I'm usually going to make it several times early on, like after making it the first time, I'm going to redo it a couple times because, you know, it takes you a while to kind of figure out the timing of things and, and how to do it just right to make it turn out the way you want it to. So I imagine... Um, every time you go to another brewery, it's, it's similar to that, right? It's like doing a recipe for the first time, except brand new equipment, brand, you know, new stove, new pots, new pads, new everything, right? It's not your own place at all. Uh, so being able to do it in your own place, obviously you get practice with it. You know the system, you know, you know, how everything is going to work, how everything's going to react. Uh, just having more control over it, uh, I think. Obviously, hiccups are still going to occur here and there. Unexpected things are going to happen. Things won't be delivered or something will turn out differently than you thought it would. Uh, but the more you know about the process and your equipment, the, the more able you are to, to handle those kind of things. Certainly, yeah. And um, the more in control of them you are. But one of the really good things about doing collaborations is you get the opportunity to look at somebody else's process and mm -hmm. to learn from that. So if you're only ever working in your own brew house and you're only ever doing things your own way, you'll probably pick up bad habits or strange habits or things that are not best practice somewhere mm -hmm. along the way. Uh, and seeing how somebody else do thing, does things can really kind of snap you out of some mm -hmm. of those and make you re-examine your own ways of, uh, right. of working. Uh, and that was the case at Idrisil. One of the things I noticed was when they were transferring the beer into the tank, the wort into the tank rather, they very carefully checked the, the density, the gravity of the wort that mm. was going in there rather than just looking at the color with a torch, which is what we tend to do. Mm. They were carefully checking it um, with a, a kind of portable hydrometer mm -hmm. to make sure that everything was, that was going into the tank was actually wort and it was mm. not mixed with water or something right. along the way. So that was a really good little process that, mm. that I noticed there. Um, the next uh, couple of collaborations that we did after that were, were both at the same place. Um, so we've been working a little bit with um, a brewery called Beer Brain. We made our chocolate orange porter there. Uh, and then we also made our anniversary IPA there. Mm. Uh, and also an as yet unreleased cold IPA was made there. Yeah. Right. So we've actually brewed there three times, although I don't think you've had the opportunity to go to Beer Brain yet, have you? It's a bit inconvenient mm. since we're open here every day and that's kind of in the opposite direction from here. I could I could it's go there far. and say hi yes. and then I would have to leave and come here to open up. <laughs> it's pretty far. Mm. Uh, it's all the way on the other side of Tokyo. It's, it's, it's in, in Kashiwa, isn't it? Yeah, Kashiwa no Hai in, yeah. uh, in Chiba. 
So it, it's pretty far from here, and it means I have to get up extremely early in the morning on days that we're brewing there. Mm. Um, but it's a really nice brewery, uh, very very clean, uh, very well organized. Mm. And the brew system that they use is actually manufactured by the same company that we're hoping to buy a brew system right. from. So it's together. good practice. Absolutely, yeah. We can see exactly how the, the system works and what we might want to adapt or change mm. or make sure that we we order from that company mm. when we do get our system in. Yeah, it's a bonus. Um, the other really big bonus about working there is that the two guys who run the brewery there tend to do almost all of the work. Mm. So I spend a lot of the day standing around and chatting with Chris Poole uh, and occasionally you know, cleaning something up or sweeping a floor. Um, but it, I have noticed that every brewery we go to, every brewery I brew at, has a different expectation for how much of the work we are expected to do mm. right that's one of the biggest things i've noticed when we went to Devilcraft, basically jason did most of the brew day we were allowed to stir a few things <laughs> and uh, and have a look at some readings but basically he did it we did have a conversation went. about the hops right yes. there was a, there was a hop that we excluded that we we didn't care for we absolutely had input on the recipe mm. but the actual brewing because it was him and also a couple of assistant brewers yeah. we were kind of observers yeah. on the day Whereas at Izumi, kind of, I, I do the brew day there mm. now because I've used that system so many times. That's one of the biggest differences that I've noticed in all the different collaborations that we've done. What about from your perspective? What have been some of the, the differences between the different collaboration beers that we've made? Uh, it's been really interesting to me to see the, uh, the layout of the different brew houses because every place is a bit different. And at this at this kind of level of business, uh, we're not we're not dealing with Baird Brewing style size of system. It, it's also not a custom space. Everywhere is working with the space You're, that they have. Absolutely, yeah. So it's been very interesting to see how people have uh, utilized their space and, and laid things out. Um, and it's it's obviously the kind of thing where once you put these things in, it's expensive to move them or yes. to, to change the layout. Yeah. So uh, I think doing the collaboration is quite useful for us to, as you mentioned, doing the beer brain stuff is good to see the, the system and understand what it is that we're going to be getting into if we order from the same supplier. Uh, but I think also seeing different layouts and how places have managed their space is really useful for us going forward. Mm -hmm. And each place is, is a little bit different, right? They're all kind of small. Every place is more or less cramped, more or less cramped to, to different degrees. Uh, but seeing how they have tried to figure out their layout, considering all of the different things that have to happen from you know brew day to through packaging, through serving, it's been interesting to see. That's kind of a Japan thing, isn't it? The, the cramped space. Nowhere mm. is going to have enough space unless you're at bed scale and you're, you're building a custom facility out in the countryside. Sure. Or you're separating your brewery and your, your tap room space. Mm. But it's, it's always going to be pretty cramped. Yeah, absolutely. One of the kind of facile, but also kind of interesting differences I've noticed is that everywhere I brew has a very different approach to lunch. So a brew day usually runs from either eight or nine in the morning through to, let's say, three, four, five in the afternoon depending on how smoothly it goes. Um, at Izumi, they have a really nice system where everyone just chucks a couple of hundred yen in the kitty and it's one person 
who's working there's job on that day to make lunch for mm. everyone. They will prepare it the day before and then we all sit down and eat together during a, a quiet part of the brewing process. Um, whereas at Beer Brain, there is no lunch. We just don't eat lunch. Um, <laughs> but we do start drinking beer from about 10 a.m. Mm. So it's, it's a very different approach to sort of, I'm not quite sure what the right way to describe this is, but sort of the, the practicality of working in a brewery. Mm. It's a job. You know, it's fun, but it's also a job. Right. And you need to eat at some point during right. the day. So just looking at the different ways that everybody organizes that mm. is quite funny. It's also, uh, you know, brewing, similar to cooking, similar to other, um, you know, it's a process that once you start, things to have to happen on a certain schedule. Yes. And you can't just say, all right, turn off the production line, let's go have lunch. <laughs> let's shut it down for an hour and yeah. go, go out to a restaurant. Yeah. So I'll go eat and have, have a martini or something. You like these things are happening on a schedule and once it gets going, you need to see it through to completion. Mm. So, uh, that, that kind of dictates what's possible, I think in some ways. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting to see how different places are handling it. Yeah. I, I think it partially comes down to just the neighborhood that the brewery is in. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I remember at, um, Idrisil, like uh, Davido, the owner there, went out and, and got us all tacos. And we sat down during a quiet part of the brew day and, and ate these tacos. Mm. But that's only possible because there's a nice taco restaurant mm. just right around the corner. Did you know what a taco was before you, before he showed up with I them? think it's made of pumpkin. Yeah. Some kind of pumpkin yeah. dish. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty tasty though. Yeah. But somewhere like Beer Brain or when I used to work at Baird's, Baird is right out in the countryside. There's nothing yeah. around there. Mm. So if you want to have lunch, you've got to brown bag it you've got to bring it in with you you mm. have to cook the pumpkin the night before yeah and then put it put in it your into bag the tacos put it into the tacos yeah. and bring it in with you mm. in order to be able to have lunch so it's quite facile but it says a lot about you know the brewery and their philosophy of how it, how things work there. Mm. I think something as simple as that there are it's 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 a tricky one isn't it because like i said you're in some ways you're dictated by the process mm. uh but at the same time, no job should be such that it's like you're enduring kind of horrible hardship to be able to get it done, right? Like right. I feel like you should be able to figure out some way to say, even if it's a small operation, like you should be able to figure out a time to like sit down and eat something. Maybe not sit down and eat something, but like a bit of time to... Well, I, th I think it partially speaks to how well-established the brewing process is like mm. how long you've been doing it mm. at Baird's the process of making beer on each of the three different systems was very well established mm. and it followed a very set pattern every time and we knew this is the part where you have a bit of time and right. you can take 15, 20, 30 minutes to just sit over there and eat the lunch that you've brought with you Devilcraft seemed the same way yes mm. they knew exactly when okay we've got half an hour we can go upstairs to the house that we have up here the apartment mm. uh, and we can sit down and we can eat lunch yep. there. Um, so I think that might be part of it as well um, I still do favor the, the approach of going to Idrisil though where they I'm just delivered a very delicious taco shows up with tacos at some point during the day that's a good system we, I wonder if we can set that up here we need do we do we get Davido to bring those to us how does that work I assume that's how it works that he's just going to show up on the yes. first brew day once we start brewing he's going to start showing up that's good if you brew it he will come <laughs> with tacos yes that's right so for me one of the hallmarks of a successful collaboration is that a French man who's really into heavy metal shows up at some point and mm. gives you a taco yeah 
for you, what are some of the other signs that a collaboration has been successful? Well, beyond the obvious that the, the beer output is good. Um, but what do you mean by good? It just tastes good or should it be some kind of melding of philosophies or... No, just that I like it. Just that you it's like it. Very that's the only yeah, thing that's important. I, I don't really... Everything else is fine. Everything else is secondary, to be honest. I, all, those other things are important, right? Uh, but sure, I think that you... Um, it's nice to feel that you had input into the process. And I think it's nice also to uh, have learned something through the process. Um, and collaborations at their heart are a relationship between two breweries or two brewers. And so I think, I, I think that's part of why people like them as well. It's not just, excuse me, it's not just using an interesting ingredient or having an outside perspective, but you get to meet other people who are in beer and brewing and you get to work with them and start to form those kind of relationships and maybe friendships and who knows, maybe hang out sometime outside of work or I don't know. But like there are the, you creating relationships between the breweries and you're creating relationships between the brewers as well. It's cool to meet new people, especially when we share a similar passion. So I think that's fun as well. That's right. And uh, I just realized that we completely forgot to mention one of the really successful recent collaborations that we did down in Wakayama. Jesus. We went all the way down there. We were there for three days and we met the non-craft guys who are all great guys. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm really glad that we got to hang out with them and spend some time with them. I did have it in my notes, which consists of just a list of the, the collaborations we've done. So it was on my mind. But Good work. Yeah. We ended up uh, somehow bypassing it. I would say that that was a really successful collaboration and I think you've kind of cut to the heart of it as usual. Um, in the end, especially for the customer, it doesn't really matter what brewing philosophies there were behind it or what amazing new ingredient the brewers got to play with. If the beer is good, then it was a successful mm. collaboration. Yeah. That's it. It really is as simple as that. Mm. Uh, and it can be really interesting in a kind of nerdy way to see different styles meet and everything else. But fundamentally, a successful collaboration is one that makes good beer. Mm. And I think that um, the Golden Kiwi is a really nice beer. Yeah. So a very successful collaboration. Plus, we got to hang out with some really cool dudes down in Wakayama. It was good. Yeah, it was. Uh, their space is totally, totally incredible. Mm. And um, yeah, they're all, all three of them are just really good dudes. Like I feel like we kind of naturally got along with them pretty well. Maybe they're just nice people. I don't know. Um, I mean, I know they are nice certainly nicer people, than we are. I wonder if, if, if I, yeah, maybe we left and they were like, man, I'm so glad. Those, those guys, guys are the worst. Jesus, send them the beer tomorrow. <laughs> Let's be done with them. Um, no, they're just, they're good dudes down there. And, and that was a really great collaboration. We have kegs of that in the fridge that we would really like to, uh, to pour out of the taps and serve to people, which we will do someday. But we managed to, we sold out of the bottles of gold in Kiwi very, very quickly, but we managed to get two more cases from them, which we have in stock now. That's right. So back in stock, bottles of golden kiwi mm -hmm. and waiting in the fridge, uh, a load of kegs of golden kiwi, just waiting yeah. for when we are allowed to serve mm -hmm. uh, draft beer again. Um, hopefully that will be before too long. Um, we will, of course, keep everyone updated through our social media um, to any changes to our opening hours. We've mentioned Tokyo Picnic coming up on the 5th and 6th, but we are waiting to hear about that. Obviously, if the state of emergency is extended, 
Uh, I'm not sure what the organizers will do with the event as a whole, but certainly they will not be serving beer at it if it does get extended. Yes, yeah, so uh, we will probably be making an announcement about that soon. Uh, as Dan says, we're just waiting to hear what the organizers mm. have to say. Um, if they have it, even without beer, it's worth going to. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and it's it's a great, fun event. There's lots of good food. There's lots of kind of fun activities. Open air, and so on. big it's, space. It's outside in the open air. Yeah. So relatively safe mm. uh, as well. And speaking of good dudes, they're also a good bunch of guys. They are good uh, dudes. Good dudes who run Tokyo Picnic. Um, have we got anything else coming up? Uh, I mean, we're just going to keep on keeping on. Right. I believe. We're going to keep on operating as a bottle shop uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, we will, of course, keep you updated with any new cans and bottles that come into the shop. Um, what's been particularly popular recently, do you think? Uh, the, 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 the hop concept beers have been pretty popular. We talked about the dank and sticky. Yep. That's all gone. Time. That's gone. Yep. Uh, but we still have haze pipe and, uh, take on anything from them. So those have been popular, but they are, those two are hanging in there. They're quite good. I mean, you know, we get new beer all the time, so we'll keep updating on our social media and letting people know what's in the fridge, but there's always going to be good stuff in the fridge. So we got two fridges now. I don't know if we mentioned that. Did we mention that? Two fridges. Two fridges. Heat your heart type, Bill Gates. Yeah. Jeff Bezos. He's had a week. He might have, he might have got another one. Yeah, he's got a lot of things on his mind at the moment. Maybe he hasn't had time to pop out to Yamato Denki and, uh, and pick up another fridge. Where do you think fridge is at his list of priorities? Uh, I'm going to say it's somewhere below fixing Windows 95 right mm, now. Right. Um, it's certainly on the list at some point. It's there. Yeah. Uh, one thing that we that I would like to talk about very briefly, maybe I'm catching you off guard here, okay. but uh, numerous people... Let's say more than more than one person okay. and less than twelve people. So two people have act. It was two people. Yeah. Sure, fine. <laughs> uh, but uh, but you know, if two people ask you a question, that means like literally thousands of people are thinking it. That's true. Uh, have mentioned to me that they really like the funky intro and outro music right. that we play on this podcast. Right. I hope I'm not catching you too too off guard here. Uh, and I know that because of the nature of the music, the it's royalty free to use it if you cite, like you put in a little bit of text in the podcast description that talks about who uh, who recorded it, who created the music. But I thought we could just give a shout out here uh, if you have the name of the person there available. Uh, yeah, so the website that I got this music from is called Pixabay, P-I-X-A-B-A-Y. Uh, and this music was by Zen Man. Zen underscore man. Just that Zen man. Okay. Zen man. I thought there was That's more it. coming. Like no. Zen man. I don't know what would come after that. That's it. Alright. Well, thanks very much for listening. Uh, please enjoy Funky Outro by Zen man. Zen underscore man. <laughs>